morning, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors on the team. And you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. Uh, you will see that we're working our way through a series called Advent. And uh, last week we opened it up. We started talking about hope, and we lit a candle for hope. And then today we're talking about joy. So we had the children lead us in worship. Didn't they do a great job this morning? They were so much fun. And uh, obviously, I'm wearing a little, you know, Christmas uh, vest here, so uh, I know it's not Leprechaun Day, but, uh, and uh, so thank you for those of you who are wearing, uh, uh, you know, a little ugly Christmas sweater. I'll take that off. And then I was going to light a candle for you today, lighting the uh, joy candle today. But you know, what we did is we moved all the candles down off the stage so that the children wouldn't break them. And then when we put them back on the stage, we broke them. So you'll have to imagine a candle being lit right now, welcoming in the uh, joyful day. Yeah, um, <laughs> my buddy uh, Josh and I were talking, and he was telling me a story of one of the Christmases when he was in elementary school. He really, really wanted a bike. That's all he wanted was a bike, and he knew that his family was kind of strapped and that that would be a stretch for them, but that was the only thing he wanted that Christmas, and, and so he just did what every other kid does. You know, you kind of put the request out, and then you wait for an eternity for Christmas morning to finally arrive, and Christmas morning comes, and he runs downstairs, and he looks under the tree, no bike. And so, uh, he, you know, he and his brothers and sister, they were there, and they, they, they ended up, his brothers and sisters had a ton of presents. They were just having a, a joyful morning. Josh didn't have too many presents under the tree. You know, he opened up one, it was socks. He opened up another one, it was a football magazine. And, and so the morning went on, and Josh is just feeling more and more it just, you know, it's just a mix of all these emotions a kid will feel, you know, frustration, disappointment, anger. He's thinking, my parents have totally forgotten me. We actually have a picture of that exact moment, and you can just see just daggers out of Josh's eyes, like, what's going on? And as the morning went on, finally, it was over, and, and his, his mom turns to his dad and says, Honey, didn't we forget one present back in the bedroom? And they wheel out a bike, and Josh promptly collapses into a puddle of man tears. He was so happy. And uh, some of you hear that story think, Wow, that sounds traumatic. And, yeah, it is, quite. And it sounds so cruel. It's like Jimmy Kimmel made that kind of a morning up. But... But the idea was that Josh's long-awaited hope was fulfilled, and so his joy in that moment was beautifully complete. And, and I say that, it kind of opened with that story, to let you know that that's a little bit of what's happening. We talked last week about the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel longed for the coming of Messiah, that that, that was their hope, that Messiah would come. And when Messiah comes, when uh, the arrival of Jesus is announced, you could imagine their joy being complete. That's a, a bit of what's going on here when the angels announced this reality to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. All right, so we see several things from this passage, but specifically what I want you to get is this is the angels announce it as good news, right? This is good news. What's the good news? The good news is Messiah is here. Messiah is come. You've been waiting and waiting. Israel had been waiting for uh, not just years, right? Not just decades. We're talking centuries. The promise of Messiah and now Messiah's Savior is here. And the fact is he is a Savior. His name is Jesus, which means he will save his people. Uh, And it means something more than just mere good news. It is good news, but it's good news of great joy. And what does this great joy have to do? Great joy is surrounding the idea that we are the object of the Lord's affection. The idea of great joy is birthed out of the reality that God is pouring his unfailing love out for us. And we receive that unfailing love. We respond to that unfailing love. And that is the source of great joy. So it's good news of great joy for all people. For all people, and again, we go back to this idea that God had chosen a people. He had chosen the Israelites, and, and so that's why we have the Old Testament. It, God revealed himself to the, to the Israelites. He engaged in a covenant relationship of love with his chosen people, and, and so he interacts with them throughout their history. That's what we have in the Old Testament, is God choosing a people through whom to birth a son, his son Jesus, Messiah, but it's not only for the Israelites. At this point now, it is for all the people, right? It it is for every single person. God chose a nation to birth a son to save the world. So the plan that Jesus, Messiah, Savior comes, the project that he comes to fulfill is a project that involves all people throughout all of history over all of the planet. It's the reconciliation of all things and nothing less than the redemption of the entire created order. Right, the, uh, the idea of a new, uh, a reconciled and redeemed reality no longer under the curse of sin. That's what Messiah Savior came to accomplish. And that's why, friends, it's good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And so today what we want to do is we want to talk about joy. And joy is that deeper experience of vitality and meaning it is far more important and lasting than mere happiness, right? Happiness exists really in a temporary kind of way. It's a very circumstantial way. It's a shallow experience, and joy is much deeper and richer. I was even joking with my staff this morning as I sent off just some note, last-minute notes you know, early in the morning and, and just said, I'm going to be leaning into joy today. Because uh, I, I don't actually feel very happy this morning. I'm, I'm actually battling a cold right now. 
My, my whole family's had it. My wife brought it in to the house, and then my kids got sick, and I was battling it. And finally, you know, Friday, I kind of fell. And so I've been really just kind of babying myself. I've been, you know, just kind of soups and lots of uh, sleep. And then, of course, because I'm battling a sore throat, I'm hydrating like crazy. And because I'm hydrating, I have to pee, you know. <laughs> right now, and, and it's like, it's just all, so I've, I've got to just, you know, lean in to joy, right? It's, it's that deeper, richer. In fact, you just need to know, happy is what you get when you receive what you want for Christmas. But I want you to think about, are you still happy for the gifts you received five Christmases ago? Can you remember what you wanted for Christmas five Christmases ago? Can you remember what you wanted for Christmas last year? You see, it's so interesting that the the problem with attaching joy to things like material acquisitions is that that feeling fades from our consciousness so quickly. You know, advertisers, they built an entire industry around convincing you that you need these products in your kitchen or in your garage or in your yard or, you know, in your life somehow. And they seem to get us year in and year out. And it seems like it, it, it works, you know. It's funny, my wife and I, one Christmas, we ask our kids, hey, you guys, what would you like for Christmas this year? And I kid you not, this was their answer. Well, we don't actually know right now. Let us go watch some commercials for a while, and then we'll tell you what we want. We're like, no, no, that's not, I don't want you to brainwash yourselves to, you know, get, just get stuff so you can get stuff. That's not what we're after here. And, and yet we just recognize there's, there's this frenzy, right? The culture has just bought in to this cycle because sort of the health of all things is that they make more stuff and then they convince you got to have more stuff. And there's this whole industry uh, just kind of churning on and on. It's, it used to be like this. It's like I have an iPhone and it works perfectly well, but now there's a new iPhone that's so much smaller than the iPhone I currently have. I actually want to get the small iPhone so I could actually go to the doctor and say, help, I swallowed my iPhone, right? Like that was for a while. Now it's no longer that. It's bigger and bigger, right? It doesn't fit in my pocket or my purse anymore, but I got to have it because I want to have another screen in my life that I can constantly stream Netflix. I'll never be bored again, you know? Not enough TV monitors and computer monitors in the world. I got to have one with me all the time, right? We are so consumer-minded in our society today. The idea of constantly having the availability to purchase... We've even figured out how to make this happen on airplanes, right? We know this. It, it, raise your hand if you know what a Sky Mall is. Sky Mall, does anybody? At one time, I looked it up. Sky Mall was in 88% of all airplane seatbacks on planet Earth. They had figured out how to just saturate the airline market. And if you're not familiar with Sky Mall, Sky Mall is, it used to be a magazine, they're online as well, but they are filled with products that you never knew existed, that you never ever wanted, and you will never ever need in your life. And yet once you see them, you think to yourself, oh, well, maybe that would be good. Nobody ever opened a Sky Mall magazine looking for something in particular. You just thumb through it because you were bored. And by the way, I'll just confess, how many of you, by show of hands, have thumbed through Sky Mall Magazine because you were bored? Okay, yeah, so that's so many of us. So, 
But then you open it up and you find these amazing things and you're like, oh, that's really curious. Like for example, this is the daddle, right? It's a saddle for dads. <laughs> Look, I'm a pony, you know? You never knew you needed it and you don't. Uh, how about this one? It's the Darth toaster, right? Anybody get the Darth toaster? Yeah? Come to the dark side? You don't know the power of the dark side, of the toast, you know? Um, how about this? For those planning a future neck or back injury, they actually sold in-home traction for, you could just hook it up. Can I, can I just beg you, if, if you're planning on having this problem, to, do not do traction at home, right? That's, that's like ordering away a do-it-yourself do it surgery kit. Like, take out your own appendix, you know? Like, th don't, please, please don't. But I want to tell you of all my favorites, this is my favorite, this is the dad bod fanny pack. <laughs> Throughout the ages, fanny packs have been evolving. Now we've reached the pinnacle of all fanny pack The best part about it is there are options for individual dads and the needs. <laughs> I like the Sherman, by the way. That's Washington real. All right, let's get that off the screen. There are no shortage of things to buy in our culture today. And friends, this is actually one of the reasons why God is not that interested in just giving us more money. He's not interested in just making his children more affluent. Why? Because we end up using it so poorly, right? We, we spend it on so much crazy stuff that has nothing to do with joy. And what is it that God wants for us? God, God wants for us not just to be comfortable, but God wants to grow us in character, because the deeper and richer, the more mature our character is, then the more we can grab hold of this joy that Jesus came to bring. And what is this idea of character? What does it mean? Well, if you just want to write this down, character means joy no matter what. Character means living above your circumstances. What character means is facing challenges with hopeful hearts because you know you never face any challenge alone. And that's what Jesus' birth means, right? The deep and sustained joy for his children. Now, you can't remember a, or a, or a Christmas gift you wanted five years ago, but let me ask you, if you're a parent here, how many of you can remember the details and the emotions surrounding one of your children being born. How many of you, maybe, maybe you're not a parent, but you were in the, the hospital when your best friend gave birth. Or maybe you're an aunt and an uncle, or an uncle, and you remember when you were in the hospital when your niece or your nephew was born. And you remember the details and the emotions. It's just amazing, right, how clear those things are. Or maybe you're an adoptive parent today. How many of you can remember the process of adoption and the emotions surrounding that process and the details every step of the way? 
You see, what's interesting as you read through the story of nativity, and you read about the star and the angels and the shepherds, you read about the wise men coming, and, and, and all of these things are simply the details surrounding the world's most loved and best known birth story. And it's deep, right? It's rich and it's memorable. And so we read in Luke 2, 4 through 7. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And we unpacked sort of the significance of all of that last week. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then in Matthew 2, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. You see, these are the details of a beautiful and memorable divine birth story. And the experience of that brought a lasting and a sustained joy. And certainly that's true in my own life, in my own family. When my wife Jody and I, we were pregnant with our son Caleb, what Jody was doing at the time, uh, she was working as a doula for a midwife, and it's like a birth coach. And so she when, she, when we realized we were pregnant, she came to me and said, oh, honey, I would really like to have this baby at home with the midwife attending. And I, it, that just sounded weird to me, and I, I kind of pushed back, and I was like, oh, honey, no, 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 you know. And, and we talked about it a little bit, and finally it was just like, I kind of put my foot down. I said, our child is not going to be born in my bedroom in a kiddie pool. No way. And, of course, you know what happened. My child was born in my bedroom in a kiddie pool. <laughs> but what was so interesting about that experience, and, and just it, all I have to do is just turn my mind there because there was this beautiful peace over the entire process. And when Caleb was born, the, the midwife took him and checked him and cleaned him up, wrapped him up real tight, swaddled him, if you will. And then right away, my wife and I and our son were just kind of snuggling in our own bed. And, and then my daughter, who was two years old at the time, jumps in with us. And, and she was so delighted to meet her brother. And she was so fiercely protective of him right away. And it just... It's like the most precious memories of my life happened in those moments. I remember when my daughter, Alex, was born. It was really, you know, just emotionally, it was kind of all over the spectrum because she was born in a hospital, and, and so we were, thought we were doing everything right, and, and yet when she came out, her lungs were not developed, and so they whisked her away right away, and they took her to the NICU, and so our first experience with our daughter was looking at her in this little glass incubator, all the wires and the tubes. And, and then later, I, I believe it was either later that day, maybe it was in the evening, I was able to hold her for the first time. And, and we got a picture of me just holding my little infant daughter, looking into her eyes, 
the joy, but also the heartbreak that was associated with not being able to take her home with me. I remember when our youngest was adopted in South Africa, and I remember us all, all five of us, sitting in the anteroom outside of a judge's chambers. We were waiting to be called in, and there was, a, there was a debate going on because we were the first American family in decades to be able to adopt from South Africa. And so there was all of this, you know, kind of prayer that had gone on and was sort of forging a new way through a process that did not exist at the time. And and so just my heart was in my throat, and I, I, I remember just sweating profusely, and it was not because of the weather. And, and then she finally invited us in, and the judge signed on the appropriate line and said congratulations and shook our hand. And I remember being so happy I almost passed out. And those are the details surrounding the birth stories in my own family history. And, and you have your birth stories, and they're each powerful, and the details are significant, and the emotions are real and valid. But what I want you to see is how much deeper and how much more real those things are, how much more closely connected to joy. Why is that? Because it's ultimately relational. And it's the most important stuff of our own humanity, our own experience here in life. It's, it's because of the love that exists in those contexts, right? Far better than a gadget you could get, far better than the latest jacket you could have or the latest technology that comes down the pike, right? We're talking about a deep and a real and a sustained joy. And that's what Jesus brings to us. That's why there's so much joy associated with nativity, because it is so much deeper. And, and what I want to give you are at least three reasons why the arrival of Jesus brings so much joy. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first, joy, it means that we are getting what we really, really want and need. We're getting what we really, really want and what we really, really need. I told you about Josh earlier, and he got the bike when he was in elementary school, and that was sort of this wonderful moment of him receiving something that he thought he really, really wanted. It brought him an incredible amount of happiness, but I wonder how long that emotion lasted for him. I wonder if you asked Josh today, hey, where is that bike, if he could even tell you sort of what happened with it as the years went by, and has he outgrew it? If you ask him, Josh, hey, what did, that, what did that gift mean to you? What was the significance of that gift? You know, other than the therapy he had to pay for going through that traumatic experience of receiving it, uh, I don't know that it, that it made a, a lasting or a significant impact on his life today. And that's, that's true for so many of the material things that are given. But look at this. God knows exactly what we really, really want and what we so desperately need, and it's forgiveness. It's an unburdening of our sin, recognizing where it is that we feel guilty, where we've hurt other people or where we've wounded ourselves, where we've experienced personal trauma and we've been wounded. And, and he knows what we need is a release from all of that burden. And so Jesus comes with his grace. Jesus comes providing forgiveness to, to take all of that burden away so that he can be our savior. He knows what we need so desperately is salvation 
And so Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, brings us just that. That's the good news of great joy. We get what we really want, what we desperately need. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy. Could you circle that phrase? Will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this next verse. Psalm 1611 says, You, speaking to the Lord, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Could you circle that phrase? You can connect it to what you just circled above it. Uh, Fullness of joy. Why? Because of the presence of God. Filled completely with joy. Why? Because we trust in God. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You see, what we really, really need is this grace, this salvation that comes from Jesus. We need him in our lives. We need his presence with us. And that's why the arrival of Jesus, God with us, it means that we get what we really want, what we dearly and desperately need. The next thing that we see from the arrival of Jesus is that joy means we are being thoughtfully pursued. And it feels so good to be wanted. We're being thoughtfully pursued. You know, when I was graduating high school and I was getting ready to plan the next season of my life, I did what many of you in this room did. And in my experience, I would imagine would be fairly common to, if if you ended up going to college somewhere, this is what might have happened. What I did was I, I... you know, kind of looked at some options. I picked, you know, a handful of schools that I thought, hey, I might want to be there and I might be able to get into those places. And I applied to those places. I sent my application, my application dues off. And then I heard back from a few schools. I got accepted to a few schools. And so I took a look at where I had been accepted and what the finance, uh, you know, would, would mean. And, and it was sort of out of that that I ended up making a decision. Okay, here's where I'm going to go. And many of you have an experience somewhat similar to that. But there are some of you who went to school where that wasn't your experience. It was a little bit different because of the way in which you had been gifted and wired and, and you'd used your talents and hard work to leverage academically. You had excelled incredibly. And so there were schools that looked at your scores and looked at your GPA. And there were schools that contacted you and said, we want you to be in our program. For some of you, you did so well on the athletic field. It was because of a sport you played and and the way in which God had wired your body and all the hard work and determination that you invested in your growing up years. And, And you excelled so much in sport that there were schools that came to you and said, oh, we want you to play for us. And they pursued you. And still others of you, maybe it was some other thing. It wasn't your academics necessarily. It wasn't your sport necessarily. But maybe it was some other quality you had that fits so perfectly in with what a school was trying to define themselves to be that they came after you and said, we want you. We are pursuing you. We're recruiting you to be in our university. That's how some of you experience it. And I want you to know that, that the difference between you pursuing a school and a school pursuing you, there's quite a bit of difference. And it feels amazing to be wanted. It feels amazing to, to have people say, we want you to play for us. We want you to be a part of this program. But it feels even more amazing relationally. 
Maybe you've had this experience and it was one of those kind of seasons in your life where you were starting to fall for somebody. You were starting to feel affection in your heart for someone and you felt attracted to that person. You felt affection for that person. You could tell that the care that you felt for that person and the interest was growing in your own heart. And even as you were experiencing those emotions inside of you, suddenly it hits you. They're head over heels for you. And they're thoughtfully pursuing you. And just as amazing as you think they are, they think you are special. And they think you are beautiful and wonderful and interesting. And all of a sudden, you realize that you are being thoughtfully pursued by someone who already had your heart. That's an even more amazing experience. Can I get an amen? amen. But I want to tell you, as much as being pursued by school is nice, as much as being pursued by a love interest is nice, I want you to now recognize that we're talking about the God who created the universe. We're talking about the one who cast the galaxies into existence, who created the Milky Way. We're talking about the one who invented mitochondria, the power pack of every one of our cells. We're talking about the one who created a supermoon and beautified the Northwest with it this week. And that God who created love and laughter, who created all kinds of beautiful things, not just nourishment, but deliciousness, right? Not, not just the idea of experiencing shelter, but being warm and cozy and comfortable together. Not just the idea, the idea of relationships, but the concept of loving family. That God individually knows you and pursues you. You're being thoughtfully pursued by the Lord of the universe. Jesus talks about this. when In, in Luke 15, he tells a couple of stories about this. No reason to cry. It's, it's such a good thing. <laughs> and this idea of Jesus, is, he's telling a story about a shepherd, you might remember. And the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep that he, he's got, and he goes out. And what does he do? He pursues the one. And he goes after the one, and he wants that one. And then what has he in the story? When he finds the one, he puts that lamb over his shoulders, and he's filled with joy. And then he goes home, and he grabs all of his neighbors, and he says what? Rejoice with me. I want you to join in to this party because this one I pursued, this one I've wanted, and I have found this sheep. And, and in the same way, he says, there is joy in heaven because of this pursuit and this response. That is amazing to think that the God of the universe pursues you. That's why we can have joy. And finally, if I could just make the same thing even more clear, we have joy, and what it means is we are ultimately and fully loved. Ultimately and fully. The, the fullest way possible, we are loved. In fact, next to that, you just might want to write down the words, most true. What is most true about you? What is most true about me? And there are many things that are true, but what is most true, what is deepest true is that you are fully loved by God. You are ultimately loved by God. Henry Nouwen writes this, and I put it on your outline this week. He says, you are not what you do, although you do a lot. You're not what you've collected in terms of friendships and connections, although you might have many. You are not what popularity you've received. You are not the success of your work. You are not what people say about you, whether they speak well or whether they speak poorly about you. All these things that keep you quite busy, quite occupied, and quite 
preoccupied are not telling the truth about who you are. I am here to remind you in the name of God that you are the beloved daughters and sons of God and that God says to you, I have called you from all eternity and you are engraved from all eternity in the palms of my hands. You are mine. You belong to me and I love you with an everlasting love. Amen. See, that is what is most true about you. That is most true about who you are, who I am. And again, it's, it's not relegated to one small group. It's not this people or this people. It's not this ethnicity or this ethnicity. It's not this tribe or this tribe. It is all people, all ethnicities, all tribes throughout all of history over all of the planet. That's how much God loves each and every one of us. Right, fully and completely loved. Psalm 90:14 says this. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's the unfailing love of the Lord which provides the joy that we can live in every single day. See, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And so there's always a source of joy for our lives. Think about Jesus. As Jesus lived in his earthly ministry, he, he was joy. He embodied joy. He was joyful, but he also brought joy. You think about the leper that he touched, a leper who hadn't been touched in years and years, now touched by Jesus, healed by Jesus, brought into joy. You think of the marginalized those who had not been listened to, those who had been thrust to the outskirts of society. And Jesus paused and he listened, he affirms, he heals, brought into joy. You think about the blind man who had not been able to see and Jesus, he, he validates this man and he listens to this man and he sees this man and then gives sight to this man and this man is brought into joy. I want you to see that it is always the Lord's initiative. We're never the ones who start this. He's the one who has started this relationship. He's the one who's taken the first step. He's the one who pursues us in love, and we are fully loved. In fact, this is what it says in 1 John 4, 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He's the initiator, right? He's the catalyst for this relationship. And so that's our response is to love Jesus back. First Peter says this, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you, look at this word, rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. A glorious, inexpressible joy. I love that word rejoice and you might want to underline that because that is our response to the joy that he brings to us, now we respond by rejoicing, right? We, we rejoice, we're joy-filled. And this doesn't mean that nothing ever bothers us, but ultimately it means that nothing that bothers us can ever derail our joy. And why is this? It's because we trust that somehow all of this that we go through, that God is a part of it, that part, God has a plan throughout all of this, and we trust that God's plans are bigger and better than our own. And now we can come full circle to Mary and Joseph, right? 
We come full circle to this reality of God's plan for what this child was going to be. And you could just imagine Mary and Joseph, and you could imagine how incredibly difficult it was for them to face the gossip of an unplanned pregnancy before the marriage took place. You could imagine how difficult it was for them to travel by donkey uh, all the way down to Jerusalem during Mary's third trimester. How uncomfortable it was for her to deliver her first child in essentially a barnyard situation. You could imagine that a thousand times they asked the question, why does it have to be this way, God? Why does Jesus have to arrive like this? And then to see the, the, the incredible wisdom of God over it all, seeing that born as a baby with his first house as a stable, his first bed as a feeding trough, and now recognizing that there's nothing more lowly than this arrival to recognize he's born as a baby, came near to us in order to save us in the least intimidating way possible. Recognizing that he was born humble in poverty so there would be no one on earth who couldn't identify with him. Now, if you're filling in the blanks, the, the reality is we take joy in God's plan, which is always greater. God's plan is always going to be greater than our own plans, our own agendas. You could even imagine that what Mary and Joseph were hoping for is they were hoping for just to have their child, right? Uh, just let us give birth to this child, you know. And, and yet God's plan through this was to save the world, always bigger, right? Always more, always greater. And then the second thing here, we take joy in God's plan, which is often more difficult. It is often more difficult. Why is that? Uh, often true that God's plan is more difficult because often as we trust God through difficulty, we're the ones who grow and our joy becomes lasting joy. Not based on the circumstances, but actually joy over and throughout the circumstances that are difficult. And the third thing is we take joy in God's plan, which is infinitely more rewarding. Infinitely more rewarding. In other words, because he knows what we want and what we deeply need, his plans are going to be much more rewarding than our own. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, This is what's meant by the scriptures would say, No mere man has ever seen, heard, or even imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love the Lord. Amen. Mary and Joseph were able to give up their own plans and trust that God's plans were bigger and better that his plans, even though they were more difficult, were infinitely more rewarding. And I'm so glad that they did because this birth story means good news of great joy, which will be for all people. So friends, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself, our whole church family, this Christmas season. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you to respond in the way that, that the scriptures tell us to respond. When God gives us great joy, when he builds our lives upon his joy, our response is that we rejoice together. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would allow us to do just that. We ask that you would allow us to truly and, and authentically rejoice in the reality of your presence in our life today.
Jesus, we confess that you are the gift that our hearts yearn for the most. And that is exactly why you came, Emmanuel. You came, God, with us so that we could receive joy, a deep joy, a lasting joy, a joy that's solid enough to build our very lives upon. So we ask, Jesus, that you would continue to work within us, work within our families. Allow us to be able to point to you this Christmas season to bring this joy with us. We pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.